It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. I'll just say this because sometimes you see something and you go, wow. A Minneapolis resident living near a gang war zone who installs a bulletproof bed headboard so she can sleep calmly. Public safety, the idea that white teachers should be let go first during layoffs, the absolute outright and publicly supported by politicians attack on police departments, law enforcement, and more. All of these things and more have a common thread. They're progressive politics at play. And I, and I have to put the question and the obvious question out there. Do they actually care about the citizens they're elected to serve? James Dickey, senior trial counsel at the Upper Midwest Law Center, joins me. James, I know there's a, there's a bunch of stuff for us to go through. So let's start with uh, the union, the teachers union and a discriminatory labor agreement. Yes, David, thanks so much for having me. And it's really an unbelievable thing where you described it pretty well. Um, The teachers union and the school district in Minneapolis came to an agreement, which was ratified then by the union members, uh, that they would, in the event of layoffs or in the event of even site reductions, right, which would happen more frequently than than district-wide layoffs, they would actually fire white teachers first even if they have seniority over minority teachers. I mean, I, I really, I really want to hold out hope in this way that there was a lot in this agreement and, and they slipped this in, but is that false hope? I mean, you're talking about I a union vote. You're, you're talking about people voting on discrimination, voting on a racist policy. You know, I think, David, that's false hope, because if you take a look at the, the tentative agreement that they have, they have uh, ratified, they start right off the bat. The first proposal in the thing is, other than the district layoff, is uh, anti-racist staff development and advisory council and anti-biased, anti-racist subcommittees and so on. Uh, and so it then goes down into immediately this section called Protections for Teachers of Color, and in the section, it clearly states that, you know, consistent with the district's viewpoint and the union's viewpoint on how things ought to be, I guess, that you would terminate white teachers before minority teachers just because of the color of their skin and their race. Well, you know, I, I again, I, I was being a little rhetorical, maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is, because I, I, I then go back to the foundation or question in a sense of, you know, these teachers didn't just show up one day and get into the system. They had to work their way in over time. The union is the union, but it's made up of the members. So am I then to believe that there are this many racists in the teachers union in Minneapolis? Well, in the teachers union, I think that the, the, the ratification by, uh, you know, upwards of 75% of the members speaks for itself. Um, in the school district itself, there, of course, are not there are members of the school district uh, teaching staff that are not members of the union who didn't who wouldn't vote and didn't vote on this. So it's important to keep those two distinct. But, uh, yeah, the union overwhelmingly supported this. 
All right, so let's go to the legal angle. And, of course, you know, lawfare is is an important part of this. And it, it's time to fight this. So what's being done uh, to take on the Minneapolis public schools? Right now, the, the uh, excellent legal group Judicial Watch has already filed a lawsuit uh, in, against this practice on behalf of a Minneapolis taxpayer. And in that lawsuit, of course, the school district does what it always does, which is move to dismiss and then throw the kitchen sink uh, to get the court to, to, to grab one or more of its theories to dismiss the case based on a bunch of different uh, legal doctrines related to whether the case is really ready to be decided yet or if there needs to be layoffs first and then also on the merits of the case itself. I got to go back to a door, go to, not back, but to the federal level on this. Civil Rights Act of 64, Title VII, Equal Employment Opportunity. How do they even get away with this? I don't think they do, David. I think that, frankly, uh, I think that federal courts, and eventually if it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, even through the Minnesota court system, would strike this down easily. There was a case in 1986, I believe, where the U.S. Supreme Court literally on a very similar facts to this case called Weigand versus Jackson Board of Education held directly that you cannot use race as the as a consideration for whether to fire somebody from their job. And you're absolutely right. The Civil Rights Act is 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 right on point here in addition to individual constitutional rights under the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see how, the, and maybe I shouldn't say I don't see, the absolute silence of the U.S. Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC. Had, had this come up, let's flip this around, you're going to fire any other color teacher or ethnic designated teacher, Asian, Black, uh, Latino, Indian, East Indian, whatever. The EEOC would have been all over this. So what am I missing here? I think, David, that the only difference is, as you already mentioned, it is that it's against, it works against white teachers and not against teachers of color. I think you're absolutely right that there this would be, everyone would agree that this is a clear discrimination action if it were uh, saying that, you know, minority teachers uh, need not apply or minority teachers should be fired first. I think it's quite obvious. And the whole point, as Chief Justice Roberts even has said, in the 2007 case, Parents Involved versus Seattle School District Number 1, the way you stop discriminating based on race is to stop discriminating based on race. It is that simple. Yeah, apparently not, but well-empowered uh, <laughs> politicians and progressives and uh, Democrat party, whatever they want to call themselves, uh, these are the new racists. It's like equity. It's the new racism uh, under the guise of, of it's retribution too. That's the other word I'm looking for: racism and retribution, for whatever reason they see. There's a public safety angle to this, and, and I mentioned because it's just that outrageous that a woman would have to put in a bulletproof bed headboard to protect herself while she sleeps. But the the bigger picture here again: leftist, progressive, Democrat policies, whatever title they want to put on it. It's not just about firing white teachers; it's people who can't feel safe in their home. Yes, exactly right. And you're actually referring to Julie Oden, who is uh, the individual interviewed on that uh, article, and she's one of our clients, uh, one of our eight clients, where in our lawsuit, which successfully challenged 
the defunding of the Minneapolis police. And it is it is absurd that she and our other clients and, and frankly, all their neighbors on the north side of Minneapolis have been dodging bullets consistently ever since the city council stood up in Powderhorn Park in South Minneapolis in June of 2020 and said, we're going to defund and dismantle the police. What's the status? Where are we now with her lawsuit? Well, we are actually at the point. So what? So since we last talked in July, David, the uh, Mayor Fry actually came forward with a fairly robust proposal to undo some of the damage that was done. And so we are faced with the question of what more could we get the court to, to do at this point? And uh, because he's got to negotiate with the city council, we're kind of we're playing a wait and see game. But for now, what we did was we dismissed the initial case after having already achieved victory in it on the legal front. And now we're playing wait and see to see whether or not the city council of Minneapolis will agree that Mayor Fry's additional investment of tens of millions of dollars into the police budget over the next two years to see whether the the city council is going to uh, allow him to uphold his duty. I mean, these are things he absolutely must do in order to comply with his duty, or if they're going to try to interfere with his duties and then set up for a second legal challenge. So there's where I am looking for a clarity, and I believe you would be as well, on uh, the, the implementation of policy or change in policy. Let's say they, uh, they designate whatever millions of dollars to go into policing, to hire officers, to do. But the policy changes have to happen. So will he be successfully, you think, held to those policy changes that are that are necessary for proper deployment of law enforcement? Absolutely. Absolutely, David. And I think that the Minnesota Supreme Court, when it delivered a 7-0 decision in our favor, saying that the mayor must maintain at least 731 officers in Minneapolis, which, by the way, is not nearly enough in and of itself, it sent a clear message to the city that they can't play games with this. And it's the the proposals in the mayor's budget are actually, like I said, fairly robust. Four new police academies in 2023, a million and a half for partnerships with other jurisdictions to aid Minneapolis with immediately needed policing, increasing the police staffing budget by six and a half million in 2024. And also they're using uh, additional funds from the federal government to pursue a comprehensive recruitment strategy, because as you can imagine, one of the issues that Minneapolis has created for itself by its terrible policies over the last couple of years, is making it an attractive place to work again. So these are just some of the things in the budget that are giving our clients hope that maybe they can take down their bulletproof uh, bed boards at some point in the next couple of years. Yeah, look, I think watching them carefully, uh, as I I like to say, I've seen this play before where the court issues and the city says it will comply, as you know, but then the officials don't change the policies or they nuance the policies to allow for this. I mean, when when you talk about uh, Minneapolis, it's not just the mayor's office. You have uh, the district attorney uh, and... uh, the, I'm sorry, the attorney for the district was more curious to me, Andrew Luger. That's the name I'm looking for. Andrew Luger it was the U.S. attorney there. And, you know, he has a role to play in this. Yeah, I think I think the city attorneys as well have a role to play in this. I, I really think that, uh, frankly, I have, I have high respect for the city attorneys in Minneapolis. And I do think that they do 
uh, and I would encourage them to in, to encourage the city council and others that this is not the time to try to take a stand to, to interfere with what the mayor has proposed. And nothing that the city council or the mayor should do uh, should do anything whatsoever to make Minneapolis less inviting for police officers to work. It should be the top place in Minnesota for police officers to come and work. I just want to bring this in. We've only got a minute left here. But the Upper Midwest Law Center also has a parental rights toolkit on your website, which for everyone is umlc.org. Can you just touch on that for a few seconds? Well, a minute. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll be brief. Uh, yes, and thanks for mentioning that. Um, we have we've published this parental rights toolkit because we've been approached by parents across the state of Minnesota who are, are tired of, of seeing lesson plans and lessons from their students, you know, especially when they first started noticing this stuff really in deep in depth on Zoom um, over the last couple of years, where their kids are being taught this, this faux equity, this fake equality, uh, critical race theory tinged uh, instruction. And so to parents want to know more about what's going on in their school districts, our toolkit allows them to figure out how to formulate uh, data requests without providing, you know, explicit legal advice, but providing them some, some guideposts where they can get information they need to make data requests and be the investigators of their own school districts to make sure that, that their kids are getting what they deserve from their tax dollars. Well, I appreciate that being up there. I sure, I'm sure parents do as well. Uh, this is under law. This is, you know, the rights of the parents and the right and the responsibility to be there uh, involved in their children's education. James Dickey, Senior Trial Counselor at the Upper Midwest Law Center, umlc.org. James, thank you very much. Thanks, David. Again, I really appreciate you. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.